So, we come to the peace offering. The peace offering is not mandatory. We're not told how often, and you're not even told that you have to do it. You're told that if you do it, this is how you have to do it, but we're not told how often. So this is chapter 3. The peace offering must be a perfect male or female cow, a lamb or a goat. So it can be lamb, goat, or cow, and it can be male or female. So pretty much anything that you have. It is not allowed to be a bird. Why? Because it's meant to be eaten in a community as a festival, and birds don't make very good meals for a large group of people. Okay, you pretty much pull in a half, two people eat it, and you're still hungry. So the point of this is it's a fellowship meal. It's an animal that you're going to sacrifice and then eat in a community to celebrate something. It's a party. And that's the point of the... So it's allowed to be any animal, male or female, that will provide enough meat for a family or larger than a family to eat. So you do the same way. You lean in on the animal. You bring it in. It's all cut up. You slice the throat. You bleed it out. It's cut up. The parts are all laid out. And you do your worship service and everything. The difference is, is that the, the blood, the priest takes the blood then, and he doesn't sprinkle it on, he sprinkles it on the altar, which is the same thing that happened with the burnt offering. I forgot to mention that. You sprinkle the blood on the altar. He then takes the fat covering the organs, the intestines, the kidney, and the long lobe of the liver, and they're all burned on the altar. So he takes the organs and the fat for all intents and purposes, and he burns them on the, the altar, and it's a pleasing aroma to God. The priest is then given the breast and the right thigh and the skin of the animal. Now remember, the skin of the animal is clothing. So the reality is that's going to the priest. So the priest gets the skin for clothing for his family. He gets the two breasts of the animal, and he gets the thigh because that feeds his family. But you take the rest of the meat home, and you eat it. You have to eat it in community. And so the key characteristic of this is that through this offering, Yahweh and the worshiper and the priest are all coming together eating the same animal. The point is coming together in community. Therefore, he is acknowledging his desire for peace and fellowship with God and with each other. The point of this offering is this. It's not for your sin. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's that because God has done something amazing in your life and you're acknowledging that God has blessed you with something financially or health or whatever and you want to acknowledge to God and everybody that you want to have a relationship with him and that you want to have a relationship with the people that he's blessing. And so you go off and you take your animal that it's going to cost you, you take it to the altar, you sacrifice it, you give it part of the priest and thanksgiving. It's like when you have like a newborn child and you go out and buy cigars, and I never did this, but, and you, and you pass them out to people. And cigars are expensive. They're not cheap. And so you're passing out because you are so excited that you've got this new thing in your life that you want to like everybody to experience that and you give gifts to them. And so you're excited to give this to the priest because you want, you're just excited about what God has done in your life 
and you want the priest to enjoy and be blessed by God like you were. And then you go home and you invite all these people in and you have this big, big banquet and you tell them about what God did in your life. Now, where do you see this? When the compassionate father got his prodigal son back, it was a peace offering. And he invited the entire village in and what did he tell them? My son was once lost, but now he's found. Praise Yahweh. That's a peace offering. And this is what it looks like. Do you sacrifice an animal in the temple anymore? How is this fulfilled? This is fulfilled this now. When we do holidays now, we've made them all about ourselves. Now, I'm not saying each one of you in your heart has, but as a culture in America, Christmas has become less about Christ's birth and more about what am I getting for Christmas? And long Santa lists. And, and even as adults, we don't believe in Santa anymore, but you still got your Amazon wish list and you're hoping for things on some level. Easter. It's not really about the death and resurrection about Jesus Christ. It's about your kids trying to get as much candy as they possibly can. Birthdays are really all about you, which that kind of should be, but Halloween is all about all the candy you can get. We've literally selfishized, that's not a word, but I'm going to use it, almost every single holiday and festival in America. And when you try to not become selfish, you have to work so hard and this consumeristic culture to not be selfish. And when you're not selfish, you get condemned. I know. Because when I say that I'm limiting my kids' presence to one present from each person at Christmas, and we try to make it about Jesus, people are like, oh, how dare you take Santa Claus away? What do you mean you're not going to give him a bunch of gifts? Okay, the greatest joy I ever had growing up was giving all these gifts, and you're going to miss out on so many joys as a parent giving your kids all these gifts. And we get condemned. And we're like, what are you going to do instead? We're going to try to read the Gospels, and we're going to try to go out and serve somebody, and we're going to try to like make it about Jesus and tell a Christmas story. Like, not the night before Santa came Christmas story, <laughs> but the real Christmas story. We're, we're going to try to be thankful and and play games together as a family. And, and not that you don't. I mean, I mean, I have great memories growing up as a Christmas with my family. But try to actually intentionally think about Christ. Not that the entire Christmas day has to be Christ, 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 Christ. But it should be the flavor. I've been condemned by people. You're going to ruin your kid's Christmas by not telling them about Santa. I feel like I'm going to kind of ruin it when I tell them I lied to them for the first 10 years of their life. Okay, so... And I'm not saying that like every kid gets traumatized by that. I'm not gonna, and I'm not, listen, I'm not telling you that you're wrong if you did this. I'm just saying that it's so easy in America to flow into this, I want, I want, I want, I want. So what does it mean to fulfill this today through the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have a party? Not just a party for somebody's birthday. I'm not saying you can't have birthday parties. I'm not saying this. Listen, I'm not saying that you can't gifts, get gifts. I'm not saying that you can't want to get candy. I'm not saying all that stuff. But what would it look like if at least a couple festivals a year were not about us, but that we intentionally invited people, not for a graduation party to celebrate something, but we had a party to talk about what God had done in our life. 
that we went out instead of spending tons of money on birthday stuff or graduation stuff or wedding stuff to celebrate ourselves, which those are all important, but that somewhere in the year we had parties and we get a bunch of money together and we buy a bunch of food from whatever and we invite a bunch of people out over and they're like, why are you having this party? And you're like, let me tell you about the amazing thing that God just did in my life. I had cancer and now it's gone. My son was walking away from Christ and now he's back. I have no idea. For the last two years, I was looking for a job and had nothing. And now this job came out of the middle of nowhere and it's the perfect timing. It's the perfect position. I went through this depression and I've been clinically depressed for years. And all of a sudden, the last year, I found true healing. And I am finally able to be like joyful for the first time ever. Let me tell you about what God did. Or when you have a graduation party, get up and talk about, let me tell you all the ways that God got me through this. Let me tell you how I was able to actually get through high school because I saw God here, here, and here, and here. And this is still about me in some way, and I thank you for that celebration, but I couldn't have done this without him. Or yes, Christmas is about us eating family together. It is about getting gifts. But let's talk about how the only way I'm able to even afford these gifts for my girls is I tell them, it wasn't Santa Claus who got this for you. It was Jesus. Jesus blessed us in such a way that I can get you this gift and say I love to you in this way because Christ first loved me and gave me this life and this money. And so that's how we fulfill this. You don't have to do this in a legalistic regulation kind of a way. But you ask yourself, how do I get back? And if you want examples of what this really looks like, wait till we get to the end of Leviticus and we're going to go through seven festivals and God will tell you exactly how you make a festival about him. And so I'll give you even more hardcore examples there when we go through that. But basically that's what he's saying here, is what do you intentionally do in your life to celebrate God? In some ways we do it in church. But we don't really do a whole lot of standing up and saying, this is what God did in my life. And we don't do a whole lot of passing a whole bunch of things out to people. That, see, here's the thing. Even today in our modern day culture, meals are absolutely essential for fellowship. Even in our modern day culture, think about how many things revolve around business meetings and revolve around food and meals and parties and all that kind of thing. Companies endear company loyalty by giving you parties and Christmas dinners and that kind of stuff. And it's not, it's one thing to stand up in front of the church and say, see, your testimony is a whole lot more than just this is how I became a Christian. Your primary testimony is this is how I'm getting through my life. This isn't just how I became a Christian back in 1977. This is how, like, Life has pretty much sucked for the last month, but let me tell you how Christ got me through it. Or, I don't have a perfect marriage, but let me tell you how Christ is. Or, I'm struggling with my kids. Or, work kind of sucks. Or, whatever, 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 whatever. Or, I've been battling this disease in my life for pretty much the last 20 years, but let me tell you about how Christ has got me through it. That's your testimony. That's powerful. That's absolutely necessary. But there's something even more powerful when there's a meal involved. And there's fellowship. Because it's not just you standing up and talking. It's now you're sitting down and then you're interacting. And believe me, I'm not good at this. I'm the first one to be really quiet at the table 
And when people come and talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. So I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm, this is what I struggle with. But I do know that there is something about sitting at a table and having a meal with somebody and actually eating and actually having a conversation and talking about what has God been doing in my life. And there's something even more significant when you know that it's going to cost you something financially to provide the meal for them. And you get this incredible blessing in return of the fellowship and the testimony and people come and say, oh my gosh, I'm going through the same thing. Oh my gosh, that's what I need. Or oh my gosh. Or... And that's how you fulfill this. Not in a legalistic regulation kind of a way, but what are you doing to celebrate what God has done in your life publicly with other people? And there's something about a meal that makes it even more powerful. And so as we look at our festivals, how do you not go to the extreme and say, no more birthdays, and like the Jehovah Witnesses. We're not doing birthdays. We're not giving gifts at Christmas. I'm not saying that. But how do we also give it a flavor of thankfulness? Or how do we create another festival that just becomes about that? Does that make sense? And that's what it looks like. Because look, all this is saying, I love you, God. And I'm not going to tell you you have to do this. Because we're not under the law anymore. What I'm going to tell you is, do you want to do it? And it's as hard as it is for an introvert like me to have a party where I'm the center of the attention and i got to talk to people. Do I love God enough to do it? Do I love God enough to do it? And so that's the peace offering. Does that make sense? Any questions? See, this is where Leviticus gets so much more exciting. Because Christ has fulfilled all of those regulations so we can just have the party. <laughs> you don't have to go to the tabernacle first and make sure everything is being done right. And if it's not done right, then it doesn't count. You just need to rest in Christ that he did it all right. And you just throw the party and talk about him. And reap the benefits and the joy of it.